0: Well, happy Father's Day Summit Church at all of our campuses. You that one of our deepest desires here at the Summit Church is to raise up a godly generation of fathers. And that is mainly because we recognize the extraordinary impact that fathers have on any society. Uh, I think of uh, some things I saw recently by Dr. Anthony Bradley, who's an African-American professor of of ethics and religion up in New York. He points out that 85% of the youths currently in prison um, came from fatherless homes. um, 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. Um, you see the impact of the absence of the father. And on the flip side, you see um, what, what, what value, what beauty can be brought um, into a child's life through um, through a, a good relationship with their father. And, and in a home where it really is fatherless, having those kinds of spiritual fathers in the church that are able to make up for what's not there in the home. Uh you know Tony Evans, uh, one of the greatest pastors uh in America right now points out that um if the child is the first one in a family to come to Christ um, there's a three and a half percent chance that everybody else in the household will get saved only three and a half percent he says if the mother is the first one to come to Christ in the family there is a seventeen percent chance that everybody else in the family will uh, will follow Jesus but hear this if the father is the first one in the family to come to Christ there is a ninety three percent chance that everybody else in the family is going to follow it's um it's it's a testimony to to the influence and the power. Um, I know that not all the men in here are fathers. I know that that God has not uh, given us all um, great fathers that we can look back at, but we want you to see the role that God has for this in his kingdom. I love how Tony Evans concludes um, his presentation of this. He says, you know, as goes the man, so goes the family. As goes the family, so goes the church. As goes the church, so goes the community. Um, As goes the community, so goes the nation. He says, so if you wanna change the nation, You got to change the community. If you want to change the community, you got to change the church. If you want to change the church, you got to change the family. And if you want to change the family, you got to change the man. So all that to say, this is really important to us. And Pastor Brian and I have had the, um, the incredible privilege of growing up in the home of a godly father. I think both of us would say that the biggest spiritual impact on us, spiritually and in every other way was our father. You know, as Brian and I have talked about these things, we realize more and more how rare that was that both of us got to grow up in a home. My father, Lynn Greer, was not uh, in the professional ministry. He was a, a businessman and, and spent 60 hours a week at his at his job, but he was a spiritual leader in my home and, and in our church. Brian's dad, of course, Crawford Loretz, um, was um, a very well-known preacher um, then and now. And so Brian had the privilege of growing up with a, a, a father and a mother that were spiritual leaders also um, most of our friends in ministry didn't have that privilege and so uh, we thought that on this father's day one of the things that may be beneficial was to have here on stage with us both of those men um, our dads who in so many ways are our lifelong heroes and so some at church I want to um, uh, introduce of course you know pastor Brian my father Len Greer here and uh Cla- Crawford Lorette could you put your hands together and thank them for um for being here with us Um, we're just going to talk with them and it's going to be a little bit unfiltered and I'm not, it's not scripted. I'm not sure what's going to come out here. Uh, but, uh, we know we'll have to stop and take about, in about 10 minutes, we'll have a bathroom break because of the age of these, uh, brothers up here with us. But, um, let's just start right where everybody wants us to start. An embarrassing story Crawford from Brian's childhood. That's what everybody wants to hear. Do you, do you have one?
1: Well, I'm trying to figure out which ones to share. There's a number of them. Um, Actually, one of the one of the most embarrassing moments uh, for me. Well, I don't know if it's embarrassing and frustrating at the same time. When he went off to college, um, I gave him a credit card, and uh, it was only supposed to be used. <laughs> I feel like Brian knows where this is going. <laughs> yeah, only supposed to be used for emergencies. Emergencies. So you know, and generally speaking, I mean, he was cool about that, and then. One 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 month, I'm looking over my American Express bill, his card, and I'm saying, "Oh, somebody stole the card! This is unbelievable!" So I call and say, "You know, is, did somebody steal the card? What was what it?" And you know, he doesn't have a speech impediment, but he started, you know, uh, uh, oh, uh, I said, "Oh, here we go!" You know, come to find out. Uh, He lost his mind for, you know, a few days and decided to buy sneakers and jeans and... (laughs) Structure. It was structure. Was it structure? It was a men's store. Dad, by
2: the way, Oxford Valley Mall. Yeah. The latest 90s fashion. It was well worth it.
1: Yeah, and I just thought you lost your mind. That's what I thought. And uh, so, you know, uh, he came home and I, I made him pay for that and lesson learned. Dad, I think you
0: have a similar one with with me, don't
3: you? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember he was in New York and called me one evening and said, Dad, I need your credit card. I said, why? He said, well, I'm at a convenience store, and I don't have enough money to pay it. So I repeated the card number to him, which was fine, a couple of dollars. So a few weeks later, I get my bill, and I keep seeing charges on it. And I said, I called him, I said, JD, are you still using my card? And he said, yes. And I said, well, how did you know the card number? He said, Dad, I memorized it.
2: (laughs) So, you know, uh, one of the things that we wanted to ask you all, at least in my experience growing up, um, you know, there's a little bit of humor to it, but ultimately it was a serious thing that just kind of stuck with me. Whenever, a couple of things, whenever we were about to be disciplined, Dad would always go on a prayer walk first, right? And our, our, our street was connected to another street. And um, the longer he was out praying, the madder he was. So if he did a couple of laps, you knew it was not going to be a good thing, right?
1: So yeah. I lost a lot of weight during those years with those, <laughs> those prayer walks.
2: But the other thing is, um, I, I'll just never forget, you would call us into the room. And we'd sit there, and I hope this is okay for me to say I'm down south. I could not say this in California. Right before you were to spank us, if that was the Did decision. Can I spank
1: you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> he, would, he would give us a 15-minute homily. On some proverb, and it felt like 45 minutes. And I'm like, please, yeah. would you just get this over with? I, you know, th- th- that's actually true. There's only about of, 15 minutes. It, it, it was 15 minutes. A few minutes, maybe. <laughs> but the thing that I appreciated about that now is you are constantly threading everything back to the gospel. And so I'd, I'd just love to ask both of you men how the under, your understanding of the gospel, practically speaking, impacted and influenced the way you parented?
3: Hmm. Well, for me, it gave me a lot of relief to realize that it wasn't all about me hmm. trying to be the good father. Uh, obviously, we did, I did what I thought was right, but I also realized that God's grace was there and I think it was understanding God's grace gave me the ability, I think, to be a better parent because I realized that, hey, I make mistakes, I go through the Bible, David made mistakes, uh, all through it. And so yes, uh, God's grace was the one thing that I think coming out of the gospel that helped me to understand I didn't have to be a perfect dad. Yeah, I
1: feel the same way. You know, I think uh, the three words, grace, mercy, and truth. Um, and I, I, you know, I made a ton of mistakes. I mean, I, I sometimes I, I raised my voice at the wrong child, forgot your name when I got really mad and that kind of thing. But realizing that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm inadequate. Uh, some of the things that you all did that you need to be disciplined for, I saw that in my own heart and life. And... Uh, and so the fact that I needed grace and I needed mercy uh, tempered uh, along the way, most of the time, how I approached the discipline moment. And, uh, and I never wanted any of you all growing up um, with a cloud of performance over you. I never wanted that. I saw the devastation of that. And so You know, and and again, I mean, you would share the same thing. We didn't do it perfectly, obviously. And, uh, but that was in my heart and mind. Yeah. One of the things being on the other side of that, that I've realized
0: um, was one of the greatest benefits to my faith was not anything that you taught as much as that was important, but it was learning the realities of what the gospel looked like lived out in somebody's life. I mean, I kind of say this a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but not really. I never doubted that there was a God because... I saw my dad talk to him every morning and I saw him lean on him and I heard about answers to prayer and it was just, I just began to walk in the steps that have been lived out in front of me. I am, um, a lot of things you taught me about right and wrong and what truth were, but I also from you learned, um, what to do when I hadn't done right and when I was broken and uh, when, uh, when I felt discouraged um, through hearing you pray and hearing you confess your sins and hearing you ask forgiveness from, from mom or from me. you know, I knew it was like my dad is not a, a perfect example to follow. He is a, a guy who knows a savior that, um, that I can follow too. Um, how do you think about the fatherhood of God differently um, as a result of being a father?
3: Well, for me, I think understanding and knowing that my father forgives me in spite of my consistent rebellion. uh, When I say rebellion, meaning the stubborn attitude, those type things. And when I understand that God is patient with me, then it helped me to be a a better father, being patient with my children, not expecting you to be somebody that God didn't mean you to be. Trusting him that he was going to, he, he loves you more than I loved you. And I think understanding that helped me to be a better dad.
1: Yeah, and I think his, uh, the Lord's long-suffering with us and how he puts up with our stuff. And, uh, you know, the, perfect people... Perfect parents don't raise perfect children. They raise frustrated children <laughs> because they're not really perfect. Right. And it takes brokenness. And, you know, I, somewhere along the line, as, as uh, uh, we were parenting these four children, I came to the realization that the greatest thing that I bring to the table as a parent is my dependence upon God. And that was the message. And uh, that that sense of God neediness is the signature that you really leave on your children. Brian, I I was just thinking how
0: I received this on the other end, how I think about the fatherhood of God now having having had a godly father. I'd I'd be curious as to what you, how you think about it. I know for me, um, yes, dad pointed out faults and he uh, corrected things that needed correcting, but I knew in my whole life that I never had anybody that was more believed in me, uh, saw what I was becoming, saw that, you know, painted a, you know, to use the, the cliche, put a crown above my head and then grew me into it. Um, yes, I was grateful for all the correction, but um, my dad believed in me when nobody else did. And because of that, I became the person that he always thought that I could be. That's, that's how I've experienced it. I, what might you say
2: yeah i mean i I tell people all the time I feel like I got a head start in life that I didn't realize I was getting it's It's amazing um, the stuff you take for granted when having a present active, caring, godly dad who loves Jesus, loves your mom is in the home. I thought that was everybody's norm, but i I, I realized this this wasn't this wasn't a norm and that I have been granted not, of course, an exact picture of who God the Father is, but, um, you know, stuff like grace. Dad's just an incredible communicator. I mean, I could count on letters from him every single week when I was in college and constantly calling me um, a couple times a week, checking in on it, let me know that he's praying for me. These are incredible images of the fatherhood of God, even in seasons when I had disappointed him. Um, he did not. There was not this quid pro quo kind of a thing, and so incredibly, incredibly helpful. But to turn the corner a little bit, what's interesting? I'm the oldest of four, so I got to see my father turn into a complete stranger once grandkids came along, right? Like I tell my kids all the time, I don't know who this person is you're getting, because that was not who I got. But in some ways, you you did make some changes. Um, and I grew up in a very healthy situation, so I'm not saying that. I'm just curious what advice you all have, because I'm I'm sure you're seeing grandkids come on the scene, and maybe you're looking at it as an opportunity to redo some things.
0: What what advice would you have to younger dads? Before they answer, I'll say I've always heard that if you raise your kids, you can spoil your grandkids. But if you spoil your kids,
3: then you'll raise your grandkids. (laughs) That is great. (laughs) (laughs) That's really good. Well, the advice that I would give to parents, both young and old, older parents, uh, who have, you know, from tiny ones to teenagers plus would be to follow the example that uh, is spelled out in scripture, Matthew six thirty three. Mm. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and those things that you need in life will be provided. And I think seeking first the kingdom of God, I remember that being very early in uh, Carol and my, our, our lives of seeking God in everything, particularly when we had children, JD especially. Uh, <laughs> But uh, it was uh, putting God first, and when that happens, then God orchestrates everything to His perfection. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: You know, and I also think that uh, you know, um, when you're when you your first-time father, and you you know you, you're you're uptight, you don't want your child to do something that would be you. you, And so everything is just, you know, everything's a major event. Um, Then you, as you mature, you get a sense of proportion about yourself. You know, you got six silver bullets and 24 targets. So what am I going to shoot at? And you can't, you can't do everything. And so you learn to be more proportionate. You win the character battle and not the performance battle you know, um, um, you're a successful father, not because you're perfect, but because as I said before, you're dependent and, uh, and that God works from weakness to strength. And I hope that gives somebody hope here. Um, and so I think, and, and so when our grandkids come along, I mean, it's just, it's just, you have a better sense of, uh, you know, where well, you need to spend your time. Not everything is a, is a you know 100% issue that you've got to pour all your energy in it and so and it's and it's a blessing to for us to spoil them and have you all go deprogram them it's just great
0: <laughs> let me follow that up with a similar question and that is if you were going to go back and talk to yourself when when we when when I was just born and you were going to coach Lynn Greer, you're gonna coach Crawford Loretz coming out. What would you say, like, here's something I did that I would definitely do again. And here's something that I thought was a really big deal, but I, I don't think I would do that again.
3: Well, I would say live out the gospel. It is one thing to talk about it, but it's another thing to live it. And I believe that children are big imitators. They imitate heroes. And if you want to be a hero in your child's life, you emulate, you be like Christ. And I don't think there's a better example anywhere that could be given. So live out the gospel before your children. You know, Lynn, you took the words out of my mouth. I think I'd be less on on on
1: talk and more underscoring model, the power of your model. And and to press into being the destination at which you want your children to arrive, and to be less concerned about what people think and you know, am I raising a good, acceptable Christian kid and all this other kind of stuff? Get those folks out of your house. Uh, just focus on the simple things of being what my child needs to be, and that means in every way. And that not even in terms of when I blow it, um, I would tell I would tell Crawford, okay. You know, don't make excuses for that. You go back and tell them how you screwed up and make that right. But I think transparency, modeling the gospel, uh, and being more selective in, you know, rather than giving
3: a lot of words when I'm correcting them just to chill a little bit. If I could add one thing to that too, I think we tend to as parents, we take a lot of pride in our children, which which is natural. I think that's good but be careful that you do not make your children idols because that, that's the saying the old saying that was, a good thing becomes a bad thing if it becomes a God thing. And so be careful that your children aren't idols.
0: Yeah, I wanted to, just as a father myself now and reflecting on your impact on me, um, I was thinking just, about how, I do remember a lot of the things that you taught, but I, it's just amazing to me how, how much of what I retain and what I see as really shaping is, is more who you were and the kind of relationship that we had. Uh, I was reading a book on parenting the other day. Uh, it's probably Brian's book, his excellent book on parenting, but- it was somewhere What's the name was,
2: of it, JD? I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah, I always get it wrong. And so <laughs> you, you don't always want me to say the wrong one. Point.
0: That's right. The dad distinctive difference- Decider, something like that, right? But anyway, the guy was talking about um, how, you know, one of the best predictors of uh, the child's future health is the number of times you have dinner together a week, just as a family. And this Christian psychologist was commenting on the fact that that it is the quality of the relationship more than the content of the devotions that ends up having the most shaping factor. And that's not to downplay devotions. I mean, I do them. I have a lot of scripture instruction with my kid. I'm the primary discipler, but realizing that they're gonna absorb a lot of that, but it's it's that quality, the, the, the fact that you were at my games, the fact that I, I I could see how you loved mom, I could see how you loved us, the consistency at your job and those things. Those were things that I think Went beyond even just the the scriptures that were um, that were shared, um, I, I would have appreciated more of you turning me into an idol. I, I, I could have used <laughs> a little bit more attention and a little bit. We could use that now. In fact, if you would want to go back and make up for lost time,
3: but it's okay. Um, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, what, what's what's
2: what stands out to me uh, with you, Dad, is um, same thing. Just dinner times. You were you were at events, although you weren't, in, in and I think in a very healthy way, you didn't. It wasn't even an expectation that you would be at everything, but you came to what you could. I could not tell you a single devotional that we had. But I knew but but I knew that like my my remembrance going back was dad sitting at the table cracking the Bible open. Like if you were to press me on, give me some nuggets, it was the fact that the Bible was open and you were there. That's what sticks decades later. And I think that's good for aspiring dads young dads to hear is you don't you don't have to put so much pressure on coming up with some kind of profound thing I think the thing is you're at the table opening up the word uh was there was there kind of a overall master plan to how you approach dinner times and devotionals or
1: the short answer is no I mean there wasn't and you know Half the time, I'd be frustrated by you all. You know, your, your, your brother would be um, crawling all over the place and, you know, and Holly would be knocking over her milk and you would be looking around as if you were disinterested and all this stuff. And I am said, oh, yeah, this is working. And so, <laughs> But it's the value of it. It's the value of it. It's the communicating of not the specific content, but communicating... That this is who we are, and uh, and so it, it it was refreshing as you all grew older when you remembered having those times. And I'm saying thank you, Jesus. And so it's just just a good it's a good thing, yeah. I always,
0: whenever I talk about having devotions with our family, I always feel compelled to point out, like, I just need you to get the right picture. Do not think my kids are sitting around the table with their hands clasped saying, give us, share your wisdom with us, father. It, I mean, 95% our devotions end up with somebody angry. I mean, and not about the Bible, just, and 80% of the time it's me that's angry. Um, somebody is, you know, like, just saying stuff and um somebody breaking wind at the tape. I mean, just you name it, it's like don't get this picture of it. But I, you know, I just think the fact that um there is a there's a center to our home, and that center was the gospel. And um I, I knew that Jesus was real, and I knew that he was the most important person in your life, and that he was the thing worth living for. I, I remember you explaining generosity to us. By you know he would he would he would say hey you know got a bonus at work this year um, and here's where your mom and I really feel like we feel called to give it. I, I was about fourteen when I realized he's giving away my future inheritance. <laughs> um, but I, I had no questions. This is what is is the most important thing, and that that's something that can't be. It really does have to be caught. But what do you do with a kid when they make poor choices? And not me. <laughs> Let's talk about Brian. When when Brian made poor choices, what? What do you do
1: <laughs> well i think one of the things you learn is that you uh you don't get between them and god um, giving your child the gift of consequences is a wonderful wonderful thing it in, it in, he, they internalize that uh and so when they make poor choices uh, you come alongside of them and and help them to learn from the choices and not to necessarily be so quick to rescue them um, because ultimately that becomes abusive. Uh, and so, Wait, so... Did you just say that not letting them experience the consequences is a form of... Abuse. Huh. It, re- it really is. God is teaching some valuable lessons and you've got to give them those, those, that, that gift and not, not bail them out so quickly with that.
2: How do you balance that with grace, though, Dad? Like, I totally agree, but Mm -hmm. do you feel the tension at at times? Because I'm guessing some fathers are like, we're talking about the gospel. I want to show grace, but there is a healthy place for, all right, you got to feel the full-on weight of this decision.
1: Exactly. You know, and that's the way God raises us. It's abundant grace and mercy, but grace is not permission. Um, sometimes the Mo- our heavenly Father will let us. He's there with us, but He says, "Now nah, you need to feel what this is like." And I love you too much for you not to feel what it's like, so that you don't do it again. And uh, and so I think that that's that, that's that's a healthy a healthy thing. Although you know, go back to the story of you with the credit card. I mean, he he uh, he paid for that. And I felt at the end that he had learned his lesson, and so I gave him back the money he had paid me as a statement of... Now, if I didn't feel as if he had learned his lesson. I might have charged him interest, but...
3: Uh... <laughs> There's always time. <laughs> always time. Well, for me, I think, uh, yeah, poor choices were part of my life, uh, your mother's life, and uh, both you and your sister. But we had to approach this with, first of all, truth. What is the truth of the matter? And then grace, realizing we're guilty too. And then love, unconditional love. Regardless of what you did that disappointed us or your sister, we unconditionally loved you as the Father loves us. So to me, that was the thing that I... The takeaway, did it answer all the questions? No, but at least we're approaching it from a biblical perspective of of truth, grace, and love.
2: You know, one of the things I always brag on about you, Dad, is your apologies. When you messed up, you would apologize to us as kids. Oftentimes, you'd even come up to our schools and pull us out of classrooms for that. the role of apologizing was a big deal to you. Can you talk some about why that was really important to you?
1: Well, I think Lynn just said it, you know, I, the realizing that <laughs> I'm a sinner too. And that uh, me acting as if I am the standard, no, God is the standard. Uh, I come short as well. and uh, And so... Ultimately, I would lose credibility if I did not own the very things that that I did wrong. And uh, now, I didn't. I didn't come to your school as much as I did your younger brother's school. I did. He, he, you know. I don't know. I'm the oldest. I think you practiced on me a little bit. Yeah, I did. I did. There was a little little <laughs> stuff there. So he didn't uh, need to
0: apologize because he was usually
1: right when the anger was <laughs> directed towards you. <laughs> exactly.
0: What would you um? Anything you'd say to people out there that have a true prodigal? I know that a lot of parents have a lot of. We just I mean, when our kids make poor choices, we feel like that's on me. I that was my responsibility, and learning to deal with that and, and know that it's not your responsibility. What any advice
3: or encouragement you'd have for parents of prodigals? Never give up on your children. Amen. Never. Amen. Um, I've heard too many stories of fathers praying for their children for countless years and letting God reap the results of that. So never, never give up.
1: I could not agree more. I could not agree more. Never give up on them. And, um, and, and at the same time, fight the tendency to, of blaming yourself. None of us are perfect. Um, uh, we, we, we all do things wrong. um, but don't blame yourself. Uh, don't beat yourself up. God didn't, I mean, you know, the old line, God God was God and created Adam and he had rebellious children. And so um, there's no guarantee. And I think sometimes those of us preachers need to be very, very careful. Sometimes we preach things that the Bible doesn't exactly teach. You can't, you can't determine how your kids are going to turn out. God has no grandchildren. They've got to own their own faith, and they have to go through these things. And so I think waiting on the Lord and trusting God, that's where the hope is. As long as there's breath, there's hope. Keep loving them. Uh, Don't withdraw more than you deposit in them. And uh, keep the light on the front porch. You know, we've talked some
2: about praying You know, you mentioned praying for a rebellious child. Um, Naturally, we pray for all of our children. Can you talk some about what you've seen, the role of prayer, um, maybe what you do um, daily for as far as praying for your kids? What does that look like?
3: Well, it started out years ago uh, where it was not the, let's just say, the, the most important part of my day, now today my prayer time with the lord my devotion time is the most important time of the day and that over the years consistently i've got uh, i got a list of 20 things i pray for jd being the pastor but i also have 31 days of virtue that i pray for each of my children and grandchildren and that has become to me more than just a list of things. It's becoming to me what I want to see my children and grandchildren become is to be people of virtue, people of strong faith, uh, godly examples. And I think that comes not, uh, it, it comes through prayer. And I realize that it's, it's God, it's not me.
0: I Crawford before you, I was just saying being on the receiving end of that. I mm-hmm. uh, realizing that I had a mom and dad who prayed for me. And as a result, God wrote more of the elements in my story than I remember you writing. I mean, as, as influential as you and, and mom were, I, I've shared with you know the church before just how um, you know, Psalm 136 is the history of Israel and every between every major point in the in the history of Israel, it has this little phrase, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And so I encouraged our staff to um, write out their own personal history, the highs and lows. And then between every kind of line, just put the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And so I did it. And when I got through to the end, I realized that, and I think I could say this, for every major, major turning point in my life, you and mom were not directly involved in any of them. God was writing that story and as incredible of a a parent as you were and as much as the model impacted, it was those prayers that God was intervening. And I realized that when my kids write their story one day, I probably not going to be the the one, you know, at the key of of every one of them either. It's going to be God writing it. And the greatest thing we can give to our kids is not a perfect model. It's a, a, a God that is at work in their life in response to prayer.
1: Yeah, I became convinced years and years ago that the greatest gift that could ever be given to my children is me crying out to God on their behalf. That's the greatest gift, to tap into the resources of heaven to bring the bear on their lives. And that long after I'm gone, long after I'm gone, those prayers will follow them and hover over them and you know, Lynn, I'm like you uh, here in recent years. I mean, I've, uh, I, I, there's not a day that's in their lives that I've not cried out to God on their behalf. The same thing with our grandkids. But one of the things I look forward to every single morning, and <laughs> every single morning, I have in the back of my prayer journal pages with my kids' and grandkids' names right. to be able to cry out to God. And, uh, and to see in their lives, the signature, the supernatural, what a joy, what a blessing. Yeah. That's the greatest gift we can give them. Yeah.
3: I think, you know, to see, to list your grandchildren on that prayer list Mm. and then put in a check mark when they come to faith and a check mark when they're baptized. Yes, sir. No greater joy. Amen.
0: Veronica said to me one time where one of our kids was in a difficult season and, uh, you know, you have that conversation. You have his parents like, are they gonna, are they gonna come out of this? And Veronica says, "Don't worry about it, Paul." Paul Paul's praying for him. <laughs> so, because we can look back and see, and I, I can I can remember some of your prayers and how they changed Christy, my sister's, you know, life. Where you just like, I don't think that should have happened, but God did it because of a mom and dad that never got up off their knees. That's why I knew I could find you every morning at five thirty a.m. I'd be like, well, there's Amen. somebody in there representing me before the heavenly father on his knees before he goes to work. Amen. Um, what would you, um, if you could say anything to a generation of fathers, what would you, what would you, I mean, Crawford's been a ministry for many years. Dad's never been in professional ministry. So we got two different men speaking out of two different perspectives. What would you say to a generation of fathers if you could say anything?
3: Well, I would say for sure that, your children don't belong to you. Our children belong to God. And we, Carol and I, very early in our life, we gave our children to God. God, they're yours. And he's given us the assignment or the responsibility or the privilege to raise them up in the nurture of the Lord. So if you haven't given your children to God, I don't care if they're one or 21, you need to do that. And then you need to commit them to God through prayer, through love, and through faith, trusting that God is going to, he's going to do his will in each of their lives. And I would say that the greatest gift that you could ever give to your children is your own
1: personal surrendered walk with Jesus. That's the greatest gift. And uh, so they will become, chances are, they will become what you demonstrate, not necessarily what you say. Well, we just had high
0: school, college graduations. A lot of parents, you know, certain to get to that stage where they're thinking about sending their kids out. I mean, Psalm 127 says that that's, you know, like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior. That's one of the purposes is God gave them not to be pieces of art that adorn our houses forever, but our arrows that we send out. How, how, do we, how should we think about sending our kids?
1: Well, you know, I, I actually think sending is incremental, I think we should be sending them all along, helping them to anticipate. It begins with them understanding that their life is to be lived on mission, even as a grade school kid, and that that God, God placed them in the world to, to leave an impact, and helping them to anticipate the next level, and speaking words of hope and that God's given you gifts and abilities and strength, and we want your character to be what it should be because, you know, a ship is safe in harbor, but that's not what it was built for. Sooner or later, you're going to have to set sail. So I think the sending is incremental, and you anticipate it. But, of course, there are milestones in which you do launch them. I mean, when you send them from high school to college and that level of independence and this kind of thing, I think speaking hope into them rather than fear helping them to understand that they can make a difference and that we're with them. And that's that's what we need to under, underscore in their lives. I, I
0: will say one of my favorite stories that Brian tells about you is, how I, I'll probably get the details wrong, but basically you told him, I think maybe when he, when he was graduating college, you gave him a certain amount of money and said, Brian, this is the last unsolicited advice you will ever get from
1: me. Is is that roughly correct or... Roughly correct. (laughs) No, I I would say that I have something to share with you that I need you to give me permission to share with you. (laughs) You But no. But yeah, he just talked about how there's a respect for him at this stage of life of saying, I'm here to be a resource for you, but it's your life. And and that's a practical thing because all of us are going to be very dead one day. When you develop a hyper-dependent child... That's probably the dumbest thing you could ever do in your life. (laughs) (laughs) You you set them up for failure.
3: Right. You want them to be independently dependent upon God. Yeah. What do you say, Dad? Well, when this question came up, I thought about something happened over 30 years ago. When uh, Christy, your sister, was graduating from high school and you were in your third year of college, i wrote a letter to you and christy and you probably don't even remember it but i i found it and i'd like to read that it's very difficult for me to put into words my true feelings of love i have for you as my children only when i pause to think of my love for you is when i realize the true meaning of love and the author of love our god as you prepare to step out into the life that god has called you to remember these things that you have been taught through your childhood years. Try not to remember the many mistakes that I have made, but remember to keep the laws of the Lord and to walk in His ways. In summary, there will be many things that you are called on to do, many decisions that you will have to be made without the benefit and advice of parents. Be assured that God is always there and He cares and hears. Remember these words from the prophet Micah, he has shown you what is good and what the Lord does require of you but to just to do justly to love mercy and to walk with God. The whole world will offer much but remember this that the wisest once man the wisest man once said let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter fear God keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of men. I pray that this will be your goal throughout life, to fear God and keep His commandments. Be assured of this, always, that I love you. The things you have been taught, the same commit to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. I love you, Dad. And that was what I wrote you 30 years ago on Father's Day. Real talk, you
2: talked about your list. Who's number one on your list? Like, who's your favorite child? I got, I got a 50-50 <laughs> chance. You only got 25% because one of four, one of two. I want to know, is my name first on the list?
1: Well, you're the, you're the gift that keeps on taking. You were born on my birthday. And uh, so, you know. Yeah, Did you but, say born on my birthday? He was born on my birthday, right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so, so you never, child. you haven't had, had a real birthday that, in the years. The gift that keeps on taking, man. So... so <laughs> It's the one I'm with at the time. What do you say, Dad? Good, good, good word for me here
3: or, or what? Uh, You're taking too long. I know. <laughs> way too long. Um, Close question. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way.
2: Well, I figured as we closed, um, we would ask all the men... Uh, if you would stand, and not just uh, married men, but all the men uh, in our church. You know, I travel a lot from coast to coast, and one of the things you notice if you've uh, traveled a little bit from coast to coast by way of airplane, uh, when you travel from west to east, you get to your destination so much quicker because you have what's called a tailwind. But if you got those two same locations and you're going from east to west, you'll get to your same location, but you'll get there a lot slower because you have a headwind. I really feel like, and I'm sure Pastor J.D. would say the same, that um, we've gotten uh, where God has graciously allowed us to be. Not necessarily easy, but we've gotten there so much quicker because we've had dads who've been a tailwind in our lives. A godly dad who is committed to Jesus Christ, who is in the word, who is committed to living out the principles of the gospel is a tailwind in the life of his kids. But I also wanna encourage you, some of you are listening to this conversation, you're like, man, that is not my testimony at all. Uh, I could even tell you who my dad was. Or maybe even tragically, there's been stories of, of abuse. I wanna encourage you, you can still get to the destination God has for you. Maybe you are dealing with a bit of a headwind in your life through a passive dad or a dad who wasn't there at all, but you can still lay claim to all that God has for you. In fact, real talk, some of the best dads I know are those who had headwind fathers because they made up in their mind, my kids are not going to have to experience the trouble, and dare I even say the trauma I had to go through, you can still get there. But we wanna encourage you today to let the gospel energize all of your activity, to not go the way of law-based parenting, but gospel-based parenting. We want everybody to stand in our church across all of our campuses right now as we send you out. That's men and women, boys and girls, would you all stand? Father, thank you for the gift of, first of all, the fatherhood that you model for us throughout Scripture. Thank you, Lord God, as my dad even said, that you are the standard, not us, and that when we fall short, not if, but when, your grace picks us up. God, we leave here today resolved to lean into your grace where apologies are needed. I pray that you give us the humility to say I'm sorry to our children. To that end, Lord God, that, that our home might live into all that you've called us to be, that we might launch out, send out a generation of men and women who have been saturated in the gospel and who make a difference in their moment in history. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Summit, your sin.